0: Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. You should have received an outline in your bulletin. If you did not, if you raise your hand real high, uh, one of our ushers will get you one of those here momentarily. Boys and girls ages four years old through kindergarten can go to children's church. I want to ask you: How many of you have some sort of problem in your life right now? Okay, should be about all of us, right? Okay, whether it be financial, or whether it be relational, or whether it is uh, maybe job-related, or even emotional, or maybe the problem is sitting right next to you. <laughs> maybe you're not sitting next to your husband, so. <laughs> Uh, you know, if if we pay, if you pay attention at all to uh, any type of a prayer list, uh, it doesn't take long for us to realize that our world is full of problems, of trials, of difficulties. Amen. It doesn't take long to realize that. If we're honest, we see that all around us, uh, friends. And it, it is so much that it's very easy to get beaten down in our world today. Amen it's very easy to become discouraged, to get defeated, and and, and to really feel feel the weight of the world on your shoulders. Well, friends, I'm here this morning. I want to give you hope. Amen? I want to give you hope. You say, so pastor, you're going to tell me how to get rid of all my problems. No, that's not it. Because let's face reality. We can't get rid of all of our problems. Amen? Uh, You just all raised your hand, and we know that. Sometimes we're going through major issues. Sometimes maybe it's not so major and stuff, but we're always generally going through something. Here's what I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you to look at your problems differently. I want to challenge you to see every problem, every difficulty you face, not as an oh, not again, right? But instead an opportunity for God to work. Friends, I want to challenge you. Listen, I, I'm with you. Every time something comes up, I'm like, not again, right? And so it can really weigh on us. It can get on us. It can defeat us. But if we begin to look at our problems differently, it can, we, we don't look at them and see them as these big boulders that we have to move, but we see them as a big boulder that God is redirecting us in another direction for a different reason. Amen. Every problem or difficulty you face, friends, is actually an opportunity in disguise. You know, where I was first kind of introduced to this concept outside of the the Scripture uh, was uh, a friend of mine's father. Uh, I was in in high school and really even before that, this this, uh, good friend of mine, his dad worked at a company, some of you may have heard of, called Millican and Company. Uh, It's based in Spartanburg, South Carolina, where I'm from, and it's a textile company. And Milliken has survived and actually thrived, even with the changing textile environment over the last century. And one of the reasons that Milliken has survived and thrived is because of the way they teach their employees to look at problems. Here's what his dad told me. He said, "At work, we're not allowed to call a problem a problem. We have to call it an opportunity." So if there's a problem, a difficulty, something happens, a machine breaks down, you go to your supervisor, you don't say, hey, man, I got a problem. I've got an opportunity. Now, boys and girls, next time you break the vase, go to your mom and say, mom, I've got an opportunity for you. I understand how weird that sounds. I understand how difficult that sounds like. Pastor, you're just trying to get me to be an optimist. You're just one of those glass half full kind of guys. Well, I guess I am. But friends, I believe there's good reason to be. I believe that in every weakness, friends, every weakness we have, every problem we face, every difficulty we face, friends, is an opportunity for God to work. It is an opportunity for God to show his strength. You see, when we think we got it all together, we, got, I mean, we just trust in our own strength. I don't know about you, but I love to see God move. Amen? Amen. And, friends, many times the reason God is not moving in our life is because there's too much of us in there. And the way God gets us out of the way is through problems and difficulties. Amen? The way he brings us to a point where we submit ourselves to him is through problems and difficulties. So I want us to look at our text this morning. It's a rather, we're going to look at a big chunk of text this morning. Some of you have been saying, man, we're still in the book of Acts. Well, we're going to clip a full chapter down and a little more this morning, all right? So we're going to cover a good bit this morning, and so we're going to book it here a little bit. But we're going to answer the question. How can we turn problems into opportunities in our life? How do we, difficulties become opportunities in our life? Number one, friends, first of all, we need to maintain an attitude of humility and grace. We need to maintain an attitude of humility and grace. Now, what's the temptation normally when a problem arises? What's our temptation? Well, to run, yes. But before we run, it's to get frustrated, right? Our the temptation is to get frustrated, you know, for our blood to start to boil. Uh, not again, right? It's, it's, it's to get frustrated, get, to get angry and stuff. And many times that anger spills out into the other people in our lives. Friends, that's not what we see in the life of the Apostle Paul today. Listen, if there's anybody who, would have, who, who could have justified getting angry over the circumstances they were going through, the Apostle Paul could have done that. Okay, He was un, much like the Lord Jesus, as we talked about last week, unjustly persecuted uh, for uh, his faith and for what he was doing. He wasn't doing anything wrong, but they were persecuting him. So let's look at what we see in our text today. Let's look at the Apostle Paul, and let's see what happens to him. Look at verse 18. Now, if you'll remember from last week, Paul and his companions were headed back to where? Jerusalem. Okay? They were headed to Jerusalem. And why were they going to Jerusalem? He'd been on the third missionary journey, planting a lot of churches in Asia Minor and over in Greece and Macedonia and all those places. Why were they going to Jerusalem? Well, God had told him, and because it was Pentecost. Paul wanted to make it back there for Pentecost. And so uh, here they were. They were traveling to Jerusalem. Last week we saw they arrived in Jerusalem and look at, chapter, look at verse 18 of chapter 21. It says, On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. Now, who was James? This was uh, not uh, the uh, disciple James, but this was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, it was the James who had become really kind of the pastor, the main pastor there in the church of Jerusalem. And he was the main leader there. So when they got back, they went into James, and all the elders were present. Verse 19 says, when he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So remember, they had brought an offering back there. That's why one of the reasons they received him gladly. You know, when you bring an offering, people are going to be glad. Amen. (laughs) And then uh, they had uh, began to share everything that God had done. Paul shared how so many people gotten saved. He planted churches here and here and here and here. And God was all the miracles God was doing and so forth. And so he shared the joys and the successes of the ministry. Look at verse 20. It says, and when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. They praised the Lord together. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed. And they are all zealous for the law. So Paul had told them, all the good things God had done among all the Gentiles and so forth. And here James says, look, and, and look at all the Jews that have come, also come to Christ. Now, the word myriads there uh, literally can signify tens of thousands. It's believed by most commentators that the Ju- Jerusalem church was very large by this time. If you remember, how many were saved on the first day? 3,000. Three thousand. 3,000. So by this time, more and more had come to know Christ and and more and more had joined in the church there. And so it says, look how many myriads of Jews who have believed, and they're all zealous for the law. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, But they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. Now, I don't know if you remember back to the first, really the first Gentile church that was planted up in Antioch. What was one of the problems Paul had? You remember what group came up from Jerusalem and caused trouble there? The Judaizers, okay? It was a group, uh, the, kind of the name we, we give to them are the Judaizers. And what these Judaizers uh, were pushing Was that in order to be saved, you not only had to trust in Christ, but you also had to be circumcised. You also had to follow the law. So they were uh, Jews... Uh, who uh, were really false teachers, and they had come along after Paul. And the reality was, many of them had kind of followed Paul all throughout there. We saw, remember, everywhere Paul went, he, he faced persecution from the Jews. And this influence of the Judaizers, even, even as the church spread, uh, these Judaizers' influence spread also. And so they had begun to create uh, hostility towards Paul there in Jerusalem. Among the Jews who had gotten saved and were in the church... And even among Jews who were not saved and were not in the church. And we're going to see both of those today. But they began to accuse Paul of teaching the Jews who were among the Gentiles to forsake Moses and not to circumcise their children or walk according to the customs. Now, is that what Paul was teaching them? Not at all. Now, you can see kind of how somebody would think that. Uh, Paul definitely taught them that you didn't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. Amen? You didn't have to follow the law in order to be saved, but he did not teach the Jews to forsake their customs. He did not teach them to forsake Moses. So in order to kind of smooth things over here among many of the Jews who had, uh, were kind of hearing this nonsense from these Judaizers and others, James and the elders kind of came up with a plan. Look at verse 22. He says, what then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come, therefore Do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Now, these were guys who had taken a vow of dedication, uh, something known as a Nazarite vow. If you remember, actually, Paul had taken the Nazarite vow several chapters ago. We saw that. It was simply a vow of dedication where they didn't cut their hair. Some of you guys have taken one of those, right? (laughs) Every now and then. And then after thirty days they would cut their hair. They had they had to be purified before they could present themselves uh, in the temple. Go through rituals of purification. And so uh, they found four men. They had four men who had taken a Nazarite vow. And so the idea was that Paul would kind of be their sponsor and participate in this with them in the ritual, uh, in the purification rituals and so forth. And in doing that, and kind of in sponsoring them and coming alongside of these men who had taken a vow, that the Jews hopefully would see Paul do. Doing that, and would say, "You know what? No, he hasn't uh, uh, forsaken the customs. Paul still uh, is, is a is a uh, has every bit of his Jewish heritage. So look at what he tells, what they tell him to do there in verse twenty four. Says, take them and be purified with them." And pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing. So why are they telling Paul to do this? Paul, do this simply to, to demonstrate to all the Jews who are thinking this about you that that's not true. But that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. Now, someone could think, by, because James and the elders are telling Paul to do this, that they think that salvation comes through all those things. Verse 25 says, But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing, except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. What is that? That's basically what they decided at the Jerusalem council. And so uh, James is saying, Listen, we're not saying that, that these things are, are, you have to do these things in order to be saved, but Paul, we're, and we want you to do these things in order to show these Jews that their charges against you aren't true. Look at verse 26. So, what did Paul do? Simply says, Then Paul took them in, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. So, Paul did what they asked in order to keep the peace. Now, here's the question why in the world would Paul do this? Uh, Many of you may be saying, many times the Apostle Paul spoke up against this. Paul was one who oftentimes spoke up and said, listen, all this stuff is not necessary. Friends, here's the deal. It's not necessary, amen? It wasn't necessary for them for salvation, but they were asking Paul to do this in order to appease the Jews. Because, listen, Christianity wasn't uh, a rejection of all of the things that they had learned growing up as a Jew. It was a completion of that, right? Right? A, full, a, a, a true Jew was supposed to be looking forward to the Messiah. And when Jesus came, he was the Messiah that they were to be looking forward to. And so what Paul did was not a compromise of his values. But Paul did this in order to show grace and in an attitude of humility to keep the peace and hopefully open the door to see more Jews come to know Christ. It goes back to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I have become all things to all men, so that by any means I might save some. Amen? So he says, to the Jew I became like a Jew. To those under the law I became as under the law. To those without the law, as without the law. So Paul, even though it was not required of him to do these things, what did Paul do? He did them in order uh, to show the Jews that he was not against uh, the things that they stood for in that realm, but in order to hopefully win them to Christ. Could he have spoken up against this? Oh, he could have, but he decided not to. Now, I don't know about you, but friends, one of the biggest signs of maturity as a believer is to know when to open our mouth and when to shut it. Amen? Listen, there is a time to speak the truth. There's a time to argue for the truth. There's a time to argue for doctrinal purity. Amen? And, friends, there's a time to let it go. There's a time to, you know what, just keep your mouth shut. There's a time to just just, 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 just say, you know what, I, I'm not going to point out the error of this person's ways. Because a lot of times, a lot of Christians think that they go around and they're the police. They're the moral police for everybody. And they should just go around and they tell them, listen, you shouldn't be doing that. That's wrong. You should be doing that. That's wrong. you got to watch your language there. That's wrong. You say, well, pastor, how do I know when is the right time for each? Let me give you two guidelines on that. Friends, the first one is this. You've got to listen to the Holy Spirit. You've got to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Friends, you've got to be in tune with God, and you've got to let the Holy Spirit of God tell you when you need to open your big mouth and when you need to shut it. And here's the second guideline, and I think this is huge. Friends, whenever, whenever, possibly, you might by some chance, even if it is slim, have the opportunity to share the gospel with someone or to tell someone about Jesus, by all means, don't criticize them, don't condemn them, don't scold them, don't act like they're moral police. You say, why, Pastor? Because what you do then is you had just shut them down to hearing the gospel from you. You say, but pastor, what if what they're doing is something that's wrong? What, what, what if they're in sin or what if they're, they, uh, you know, what if they're, 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 they're not living the way they should be? Well, listen, here's the deal, friends. If they're not saved, what do you expect? What do you expect? You see, we oftentimes, we expect unsaved people to act like they know the Lord. And they don't, and so, and they're not going to, until and unless God changes their heart, Amen. Now, a couple years ago, I, many of you know that uh, I hung wallpaper when we first came here for a while, and uh, as I did, one of the um, gentlemen that I worked for did some work for was an interior designer here in town, and uh, I will probably I will describe him. I'm trying not going to try not to let the name, uh, even though he is probably. Um, probably passed on now. But uh, he was an older guy, an older Jewish guy, and he was kind of gruff. And uh, he could let some language fly, let me tell you, okay? Uh, and I would come in many times on a job site and so forth, and I'd hear him going off on somebody. However, he never did that around me. In fact, he I, I chuckled at it. I thought it was hilarious. I never told him this, but for some reason, he always just called me the reverend. And if he was talking to somebody, uh, many times I'd be working on a job and somebody would come in. And as you know, many times in that type of environment, on a workplace and stuff, people let their language fly and all that kind of stuff. He would even, I even heard him telling other people, hey, watch your language, the reverend's here. (laughs) He said that one time right in front of me. I said, I said, listen, I said, here's the deal. I said, you don't need to watch your language in front of me. You need to be concerned about what God thinks, not about what I think. (laughs) And friends, here's the deal. We need to not get so offended like we are some personal holiness police. You say, but pastor, what if they're using God's name in vain? I don't like it any more than you do. But are you trying to moralize them or are you trying to Jesusize them? Do you understand the difference? Are you trying to get them to clean up their act when they're around you or do you want their hearts changed and transformed by the power of God? Friends, that's what That's what God really wants to do, amen? And if we're going to see God work in that way, then friends, we've got to stop being people's moral police and we've got to start being Jesus to them. Here's the deal. Did you know that Jesus, I am unaware of any times in the Gospels when Jesus got angry, ugly, mean with somebody who was lost. You know who he got upset at? You know who he got angry at? The religious people. Those who thought they were right with God, but weren't. Now, we know they were lost as well. But those who were the down and out. Listen, Jesus didn't scold them. He did what? He'd come unto me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All right? He was known as a friend of sinners. When he got in their face was to the Pharisees. Why? Because they claimed to be something they were not. They were hypocrites. Now, Uh, I would say that same holds true to us. Many times we need to come alongside lovingly to a brother or sister in Christ and say, hey, what kind of testimony are you giving here? But friends, to unbelievers, listen, if we're going to let God turn difficulties into opportunities, we've got to have an attitude of love and mercy and grace and humility about us. Amen. How many of you heard the old uh, saying? Now, anytime I talk about a saying, my wife gets nervous. Because I usually mess them up, okay? And I would have, I'm probably still going to mess this one up, and I would have messed it up tremendously other than I Googled it to make sure. But I think it goes something like this. You catch a lot more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Simply means, friends, listen, let's be nice Let's be kind. Let's be sweet. Listen, uh, the reason the world, a lot of the world has such a negative connotation of Christians is because Christians have not been Jesus to the world. Let's be Jesus. Amen. Let's maintain an attitude of human grace because if we want God to turn, take a difficulty in their life and turn it into an opportunity for the gospel, friends, we've got to maintain an attitude. That's what Paul did here. Paul realized he had an opportunity to witness to these Jews, and if he would have scolded them, if he would have come down on them, if he would have told them how wrong they were and what they were wanting him to do then, and, 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 and all of that, then, listen, that wouldn't have served the purpose of which he knew God had him there for. Number two. Not only do we need to maintain an attitude of humility and grace, friends, but if we want to see God turn problems into opportunities, friends, the second thing we need to do is we need to be willing to face a little bit of persecution. We need to be willing to face just a little bit of persecution. You know, uh, the Apostle Paul faced a lot, amen? There are people in our world today. uh, Some of you are familiar with uh, organizations like Voices of the Martyrs and so forth. There are people in our world today that face uh, uh, the possibility of death for their faith any persecution we may face is more like just a little bit of discomfort amen but still we get upset about it friends we got to get out of this mindset that we deserve a perfect life we got to get out of this mindset that the world owes us something and that i should never have to face any difficulty in my life we need to adopt the adage no pain no gain amen Listen, you say, well, pastor, I don't want to go through anything. Listen, I don't want to either, but we're going to. And where, the most, where we learn the most, friends, is in the difficult times of life. I think we need to be quick learners. Amen? You know, people who grow up living uh, overprotected shelters' lives where they rarely face adversity or difficulties, what, what do they grow up to be? Many times they grow up to be some of the most spoiled, unadjusted, emotionally immature people on the planet. Amen? I believe we need thicker skin. That's what we see in the Apostle Paul's life. Look at verse 27. I want you to look at what the Apostle Paul went through. So we see what Paul had kind of conceded to them in doing. Paul went along with what they said in order to kind of keep the peace, in order to show them goodwill. And how did they respond to that? Look at verse 27. It says, Now when the seven days were almost ended... The Jews from Asia seeing him in the temple stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. Now, let's pause there for just a minute. Why had Paul come to Jerusalem? It's Pentecost, right? It's the time of Pentecost. What was Pentecost? Pentecost was a Jewish pilgrim festival. It was uh, the celebration it was a celebration of the early weeks of the wheat harvest. It was also known as the feast of weeks or uh, the Feast of Harvest. And so they, Paul had come to celebrate Pentecost, but it was a pilgrimage festival, and so many other Jews from all over had also come to Jerusalem for Pentecost, including here, it says, Jews from Asia or Asia Minor. Remember, that's where Paul planted many of the churches, church at Ephesus, and and these, these Jews may have been from Ephesus because later on we're going to see that they, they recognized Trophimus, but they had made their pilgrimage from there Let me ask you this. Did Paul have trouble with the Jews back up there in Asia? He did. They persecuted him there. Now, guess what? They were in Jerusalem. And they, again, were stirring up trouble. They saw him in the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. Verse 28, crying out. Men of Israel, help. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. I want you to notice there are three charges they make against Paul. First of all, that he taught the Jews to forsake their heritage. Second of all, that he taught the Jews to forsake the law. Third, that he taught the Jews to forsake the temple. Friends, none of those were true. They twisted what Paul was teaching. You think about it. Paul went to the temple to worship, didn't he? Paul well, Paul was, was one who followed the law, uh, not in order to be saved, but because he was saved. And that's where many people get mistaken. Listen, you say, Jesus didn't come to do away with the law, but he came to what? Fulfill the law. And in him, uh, we, we, we do fulfill the law, but when we love God and when we love others. Paul also didn't forsake their Jewish heritage. After all, here he is coming to, coming to Jerusalem for Pentecost, which was originally a Jewish holiday. So, Paul here uh, was, was, was being accused of these things, and they were making accusations against him. And it says, And furthermore, middle of verse 28, He also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Verse 29 is kind of a parenthesis. It says, For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. So they saw Trophimus. They just kind of th- supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. And they said, Listen, he even brought a Gentile into here which he had not done. So here they were stirring up trouble, and they became so upset, because, and they were accusing Paul of defiling the three most important things to a Jew. Look at verse 30. It says, And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately sh- the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison of the Roman troops that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. The commander immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So here they were. They were beating Paul and taking him. And then when the commander and up, soldiers, oh, got it, hands off, right? They didn't want to be arrested themselves. Verse 33 says, Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. Agabus had predicted that, hadn't he? And he asked who he was and what he had done. However, at this point, Paul didn't even get a chance to respond. It says, And some among the multitude cried one thing, and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded commanded him to be taken into the barracks. But when he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. So you kind of get the picture here is they're carrying Paul away and taking him back to the barracks. People are all over him. They're, they're angry. They're upset. They've, they're, they're kind of rioting here. And they're having to carry Paul above the crowd because of the violence. Verse 36, for the multitude of the people followed after crying out away with him. Friends, Paul was beaten and bound and carried away in the hands of the Romans, just like Agabus had said. Here's the amazing thing about all that. Paul knew that that was going to happen. Paul knew it. He knew that something like this was going to happen. Do you remember back in chapter 20? Look back in chapter 20 to verse, verse 22. 22 and 23. Paul says, and, and I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Paul himself says that the Holy Spirit testifies to that. You think Paul doubted the Holy Spirit? You think Paul thought the Holy Spirit was wrong? Friends, I believe Paul, Paul knew. He didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but he knew something bad was going to happen to him there, and he was still willing to go to Jerusalem. Friends, I believe we, like Paul, need to be willing to suffer just a little bit for the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe we, we at least need, not, need to not be surprised when difficulties come our way. Amen? When, when trouble comes along. Friends, we need to begin to view life differently. We need to begin to not look at the trials and troubles and difficulties of life as big boulders in our way that are keeping us from getting where, getting where we want to go. But instead, we need to look at them as ways in which God is redirecting us to where He wants us to be. Amen? Uh, Things that are causing us to maybe realize and reevaluate our life and examine where we are and come to a point of full submission and surrender to Him. Friends, it's often in the low points of our lives that we are humbled and it requires us to call out to God. Amen? And friends, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It brings us to our knees. It brings us to the point of submitting to his plan and his will for our lives. So, friends, we need to start looking at the stuff that happens to us in life differently. Amen? Not as obstacles, not as things that are getting in the way of what I want to do, but as how is God going to work in this situation? Say that with me. How is God going to work in this situation? And how can God use me in this situation? Because sometimes it's stuff that happens to us, and sometimes it's stuff that happens in other people's lives. Amen? That brings us right to the number, number three, the third component of pro- turning problems into opportunities. is this, friends. We simply need to look. We need to simply look for opportunities to be used by God. Many times we're in the midst of the problem, we're in the midst of the difficulty, we're in the midst of the trial, and our heads are spinning, Right? We're so upset at all that's happened to us and everything we're going through that we don't even look for how God might want to work in our lives. We don't even look for how, what God might want to do in us. We don't even begin to look uh, in other people's lives at how God might want to use us as an instrument of his grace. Now, if you think about where Paul was here, Paul could have been complaining, right? Paul could have been arguing with the commander let go of me you're not supposed to be listen you can't arrest me you can't do any of that right that's not what Paul was doing Paul understood that they were just doing their job I want you to look at what Paul did look at verse 37 look at verse 37 says then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks he said to the commander may I speak to you now again get this there's chaos going on all right they're after Paul. They're grabbing at him, pulling at him. You know, he simply leans over and says, hey, man, can I say something to you? <laughs> now, it surprised, surprised uh, the commander. He replied, can you speak Greek? <laughs> Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out of the... So now you see why the, 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 the commander was taking Paul. He thought he was somebody different, somebody who had stirred up trouble uh, not too long before this. And Paul had to correct him in verse 39. said, Paul says, no, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city or no ordinary, no insignificant city. He says, I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So what's going on here? In the midst of all the chaos, Paul, I believe, was calm. Hey, man, can I talk to you for just a minute? Because what was going through Paul's mind? Here's all of this chaos, all this rioting going on. That's a good preaching opportunity, right? (laughs) That's what's going through Paul's mind. Listen, if I can just speak to these folks, I know many of them will turn to Christ. I know many of them will understand kind of where I'm coming from. And let me just talk to them for just a moment. Paul's looking for an opportunity in the midst of the difficulty that's going on. Look at verse 40. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. Now, I don't know how he got all of them quiet. I don't know how they all silenced down and so forth, other than the fact that many of them probably didn't even know what they were doing when he stopped and put his hands up and said, listen, let me speak to you. He spoke to them in their language. They listened. And here he begins. So look at verse 2. When they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. And then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous towards God as you all are today. So, Paul here begins his speech by telling them of his past. Uh, he, he, he tells them, listen, I, I'm a Jew. I was born in Tarsus. I was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel. One of their most famous, uh, mo- most well-known rabbis, a Pharisee himself, was where Paul was brought up. He said, listen, I was uh, uh, brought up according to the strictness of our fathers, and I was zealous towards God as you all. I persecuted this way to the death. Remember, that's what they called Christianity, the way. I persecuted Christianity to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. As also the high priest bears me witness, and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren. And I went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there, to Jerusalem to be punished. So, Paul begins by talking about his past, how he was one of the greatest persecutors of Christianity there ever was, how he was zealous for the law, how he grew up passionate for the customs of Judaism. Now, if Paul had stopped right there, the crowd would have been appeased, right? Those were good connecting points for Paul. Paul says, listen, I am just like you in all these ways. Paul, uh, you know, a lot of times we just want to appease the crowd. If Paul would have stopped right there, he could have appeased the crowd. They would have they probably all quieted down, dispersed, all would have been well, friends. But that wasn't the end of the story, amen? Paul saw the opportunity to continue on. He saw the opportunity to connect with them and then take them and show them what God had done in his life. Paul wanted them to know all of it as he took advantage of the opportunity he had there in front of all of them. He continues on in verse 6, and he begins to share his conversion testimony. Look at what he says. He says, "It happened, Now, it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground. And heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is that Damascus Road experience where the Lord Jesus met him on the road to Damascus as a great light. And Paul was blinded. Verse 8 says, So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid. But they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? The Lord said to me, "Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which you are appointed, which are appointed for you to do." And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me. And he stood and said to me, "Brother Saul, receive your sight." And at that same hour I looked up at him, Then he said, the God of your fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Verse 17 says, now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. And saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. But I said to the Lord, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. See, Paul thought that they would hear his testimony and they would uh, convert because they knew how zealous Paul was against Christianity. What in the world could cause him to convert to Christianity except he met the risen Lord? And then God said to him, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. So what does Paul do? Friends, Paul recounts his whole testimony, how he met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, how Jesus, the just one, the Messiah, got Paul's attention, how Paul subsequently surrendered his life to Christ and he, he, he put his faith and trust in Jesus as the Messiah and how God then commissioned him to go unto the Gentiles and tell them the good news that Jesus saves. Amen? Friends, Paul was faithful. When he saw an opportunity... He took advantage of it and turned a bad situation, actually a terrible situation, into an opportunity to preach the gospel. Friends, how about you? How about you? When, uh, when stuff's going on in your life, friends, no matter what it is that's going on in your life, when there's stuff you see going on in other people's lives, in, in, in the lives of others that you see, friends, there is opportunity for God to work if we'll just look for it. Amen? There is always opportunity for God to work. Listen, when difficulties arise, stop letting them paralyze you. But ask yourself this question, what does God want to do in or through this situation? You see, God wants to, God, God, God uses those situations. You say, why does God I'll even allow it to come into my life? Friends, listen, God isn't, and the Scripture tells us, God isn't the author of evil. God isn't the cause of those things, but he uses those things in our lives to bring about greater good. He wants us in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of trials, in the midst of troubles, to draw close to him instead of away from him. Amen? Amen. And when we understand that, when we learn that, uh, then we can look at the certain situations and the circumstances in our lives. You know what? When, when we feel like we can't do it, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Amen. It is in the midst of those things when God says, like he did the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Friends, it's not till we go through some stuff till we learn that. I wish there were some other way. Amen. Don't you wish there was some other way? Have you ever talked to somebody? Maybe your kids, maybe another adult, maybe your spouse, and you're talking stuff or, or ever been there yourself and you, you just, you know, it's just not clicking. You say, you know, I know I need to get this. I, 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 I'm trying to convey this to somebody else. And it's just not because sometimes we just have to learn those lessons for ourselves. Amen. We need to learn to look at those with a humble heart, with a heart that is looking for opportunities to God to work in our life. Instance, we also need to look at opportunities when things are happening in other people's lives. Now listen, one of the things that breaks my heart as a pastor is seeing other people suffer and go through things and not being able to do a thing about it, amen? But how might God want to use you to be Jesus to that person? How might God want to use you as an opportunity to convey his grace, as an opportunity to share the gospel, as an opportunity to come on the side of them and love, love on them, Amen? Philip Yancey once said in one of his books, he said, A time of crisis presents a good opportunity to identify and to evaluate the foundation on which we construct our lives. See, it's in the difficult times of life that that cause us to think. Amen? Cause us to think and reevaluate. What am I basing my life on? What's the foundation of my life? Am I really trusting God like I need to? Happens in our life and it happens in the lives of other people. And so, friends, when we begin to look for how God wants to use us, we begin to not see situations and we need to not, our blood stops boiling. We, we, we don't let those situations and those difficulties, those trials cause us to go all awry, friends, but we begin to look for how God wants to use us. We begin to look for how God wants to work. Amen? Paul saw that difficult situation what did Paul do Paul saw the opportunity to not only give a defense but to give his testimony and share about Jesus leads us right into the fourth component because this is difficult it's difficult because many times we want to we see what people need they need Jesus and we want to help them amen We want to help them see who Jesus is and we want to help them see that He is the answer to their problems and He can fulfill everything that they have ever needed and that He is uh, the way, the truth, and the life and He is uh, uh, life abundant here on earth. Sometimes people just have a difficult time. So, the fourth component, friends, that we need to understand is we need to entrust the rest to the sovereignty of God. We need to entrust the rest to the sovereignty of God. Friends, we need to work like everything depended upon us and then trust like everything depends upon God. Because God is the one who saves. He's the one who does the works in our hearts and in our lives and in, in the lives of, of bringing people to him. Amen? I want you to simply look at what happens after Paul pours his heart out there, after he shares his testimony. Look at verse 22. Verse 22 says, They listen to him until. So they listened, right? They listened for a while, and they listened to him until this word. What word was that? It's when he spoke about the Gentiles. I don't know why, friends, but the, the Jews had trouble, as we know, accepting Gentiles. What Paul was saying put the Gentiles on equal footing with the Jews, and many of the Jews just had trouble with that. So they listened to him until this word, and then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. So Paul puts himself out there. He shares what God has done in his life. And how do the people respond? They reject him. They reject him. Friends, there are many times when we are going to be obedient to God. When we're going to reach out to somebody, we're going to share our faith with them, we're going to be Jesus to them, we're just going to come alongside and love on them. And guess what? We're not going to see any visible results. That's okay. Okay as long as we're doing what God has called us to do. Verse 23 continues on. It says, Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes, they threw dust into the air. And I don't know about you, but that seems a little bit extreme to me. <laughs> but they were upset. Some of their customs on how they showed their upsetness, I guess. As they were upset, it says, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. So the commander was fed up. Listen, Paul told him something, but here they were still getting rise, still getting upset. What Paul said didn't calm them down, but it infuriated them anymore. The commander wanted to get to the bottom of this. Evidently, he wasn't sure if he could believe Paul. He wanted to know why the crowd was so infuriated. So he said, listen, take this man and beat him in order to get the truth out of him. Look at verse 25. And as they bound him with thongs or leather straps, Paul said to the centurion who stood by. Uh, I say again, I, I just, this is one of those things I chuckle at a little bit. Um, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman? And, by the way, happens to be uncondemned. <laughs> now, why was this important? Why does Paul even mention this? Well, friends, it was illegal for them to do what they were doing to a Roman citizen. Roman citizenship guaranteed certain rights. Just like being an American citizen today is supposed to guarantee us certain rights. Amen? And so, in the same similar type way, Roman citizenship guaranteed certain rights. In fact, the Roman centurion and the commander could both lose their jobs. They could be thrown into, poss- into prison and possibly even lose their life for what they were doing to Paul simply because he was a Roman citizen. Look at verse 26. So, when they found this out, The centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, take care what you do, for this man's a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman? Paul said, yes. Now, why would they believe him? Well, the penalty for lying about that would have been definite death. They could have checked that out. But the the commander answered in verse 28, it says, with a large sum, I obtained his citizenship. Uh, In other words, he obtained it unjustly, but Paul said, I was born a citizen now friends i want to ask you a simple question here was paul a jew brought up at the feet of one of the biggest rabbis and pharisees in all of uh, jewish life of that day gamaliel who was a roman citizen because he was born in tarsus of cilicia who orchestrated that god did friends god did Friends, before you even thought about the trial you're going to be in, God has been at work. Before you even realized you were going to go through that, friends, God is preparing the way. You think God doesn't know what you're going through? Absolutely he knows what you're going through. Uh, Listen, that doesn't always mean that God's going to physically protect us from every little thing. We started out talking about that today. Friends, but when we are in God's hands, we are in the best place we can ever be. Look at verse 29 says, it says, then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. You see, they could already have gotten in trouble for what they had already done to Paul. So friends, even though the response of the crowd was not as Paul wanted, many of the people, we, we don't know what, how they responded, friends. We see the sovereignty of God at work. And here's the deal. Do we know if any of the crowd responded in faith to Christ because of Paul's testimony? We don't know. It gives no indication of that. Do we know if there was any good that came out of Paul's opportunity to share his testimony here? Did any get saved? Did people get closer to the Lord? We don't know any of that, what we would consider good in our eyes. Friends, but here's what we do know. God is sovereign. God is over it all. God wanted Paul to testify for him. Paul was faithful, and the rest, just as Paul did, we have to trust into the sovereignty of God. Amen? We simply have to put the rest in God's hands. What's our responsibility? What's our job? It's simply to be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful in what God's called you to do. Be faithful to look in the, oppor- in, in the difficult times for opportunities. For God to work in your life. Listen, God wants us to submit ourselves, to submit our will to His will. It is oftentimes, it is oftentimes like, have you ever heard about a horse being broken? You know what I'm talking about? When a horse is wild, when you first get a horse and if he's not trained and so forth, and that horse is wild, if you get on that horse and try to ride that horse, what happens? He's going to throw you off because he doesn't want to be ridden. Why? Because he wants to do what he wants to do. And many times, friends, we're like that horse. We start out in life and we cry and we pitch a fit and we do all that. Why? Because we want what we want right then. We want our mommy, and we want her now. And just like that horse, how do you break a horse? How do you do that? Well, you get on that horse, and you have to let it buck, and you have to let it try to do things, and you pull back on the reins, and you have to teach that horse to submit to the will of the rider. Friends, listen, that's kind of what this life is all about. You say, Pastor, I don't want to submit to anybody. Well, friends, then have a nice ride. Have a nice ride. That is your choice. You can continue to buck and, and buck God's will in your life and try to rebel against God and do all those things that you want, friends. But guess what? God's going to stay after you. And God's going to continue to, to, to pull back on the reins. He's going to pull you to the right. He's going to pull you to the left until you come to the point where you are willing to surrender to him. Why continue to fight him? Amen? Amen. Let's realize that, listen, what are all those problems, troubles, difficulties about, friends? They are opportunities for God to work, so let's submit to him in those. Amen? How about God working in other people's lives? Could God possibly want to use us in in, in other people's lives? How many of you um, hate telemarketer phone calls? Now, that ought to be in everybody, all right? How many of you don't pick up the phone to a telemarketer phone call, okay? Okay. How many of you have caller ID and noticed those things? How many of you have ever thought, had picked up the phone by accident and thought that was Aunt Susie from Missouri and in fact it was a telemarketer call? Ever done that before? Yes, I have as well. How in the world? Uh, now, now well, listen, the, the telemarketer phone calls not excruciatingly painful, amen? But they're pretty much unpleasant. Is it possible? Could God possibly use a, an uncomfortable circumstance like a telemarketer phone call for his glory? Philip Yancey now thinks so. He was speaking at a conference in Toronto, Canada, and he asked the audience about their own experiences, uh, to share some of their own experiences about conveying grace to others. Here's what one woman shared. She said, I feel called to minister to telemarketers you know, the kind who call at inconvenient hours of the day and deliver the, their spiel before you can say a word. Now, Philip Yancey says immediately he kind of shrunk back and flashed back to the times that he responded rudely or hung up the phone. Now, we all could testify to that. Amen. Here's what that lady said. She said, all day long, these telemarketers hear people curse at them and slam down the phone. She said, I listen attentively to their sales pitch. Then I re- try to respond kindly though I almost never buy what they're selling. Amen. Okay. (laughs) She goes on, she says, Instead, I ask about their personal life and whether they have any concerns I can pray for. She says, Often they ask me to pray with them over the phone. She says, Sometimes they even are in tears. They're people, after all, probably underpaid, and they're surprised when someone actually treats them with common courtesy and shows them that they actually care. Now, friends, while this is just one small example of how God can use us and how we turn a difficulty into an opportunity for God to work, I believe it gives us an example of everything we've looked at this morning. Friends, it gives us an example of how we should maintain an attitude of humility and grace even in the most difficult of circumstances. Amen? I believe it gives us an example of how we ought to be willing to face just a little bit of difficulty for the Lord Jesus Christ. How we need to look for opportunities for God to work. Friends, I would tend to say, we, we get to heaven, we're going to see all the opportunities where God said, here's where I wanted you, here, 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 and we're going to just, I had no clue. Why? Because we're so focused on ourselves and so self-centered that we don't open our eyes to how God wants to use us. And friends, we need to be obedient to that. And then what do we need to do? We simply need to let God do his work. Amen? God will do some amazing work, but he wants to use you. Where are you today? What is God saying to you? Has God convicted you about the attitude that you have in the midst of trials, difficulties, of how maybe even the attitude you have in other people's difficulties? Maybe God's convicted you that, You know what? I have not even thought about how God could work. I've never even looked for an opportunity for God to use me in those circumstances. Friends, maybe today is the day you say, God, you know what? I'm going to begin to look at my circumstances differently. God, I want to look at those as you want to. Maybe right now you just want to bow your heads and ask God, God, would you teach me this right now? Bring me to the point, God, where I am not so upset every time something happens, but I begin to see the world through your eyes and how you want to work. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And here's what I want to do. I want to simply, for us to just be quiet for just a minute, total silence. And I want to allow you to respond to God. Maybe God's talking to you about your attitude. Maybe God's talking to you about uh, your complaining. Maybe God's talking to you about you need to start looking for opportunities for him to use you. Whatever it is right now would you do, do business just do business with God Father, Lord, we uh, come before you this morning, Lord, acknowledging that we fall so short of your plan for our lives. Lord, without your mercy and without your grace, without you taking care of our sin on the cross, Lord, we would not even, would not even be possible, Lord, for us to walk with you with us to live our lives in a way that is honoring and pleasing to you. So Lord, thank you for giving of yourself and dying for us, taking care of our sin problem and our sin debt so that we can walk with you. Lord, for those who are here this morning who maybe are going through a difficult time, they've never truly surrendered their heart and their life to you and never trusted you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, right now, Would you just use that in their life, Lord, to help them to bring them to a point of submission to you and to your will? Say, yes, Lord, I want you in my life. Lord, for those who are here who have realized, that, you know what, maybe our attitude's been wrong. Maybe we've been complainers and not been willing to. Just look at the the world through your eyes to let you use us in the difficult circumstances of life. Not looking for opportunities to to be used by you. Lord, help today be a new day for us. Open our eyes to the things around us. Open our hearts to how you want to draw us closer to you in the midst of all those things. And Lord, how you want to use those things to draw others to yourself. Lord, that we could just be used by you. We come before you this morning submitting ourselves to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I ask you to stand this morning. Listen, I don't know how, what God's saying to you. Our altar is open if there's business you need to do with the Lord. Maybe you want to come, he wants to pray with you. Maybe you want to make a decision you've made for Christ public this morning. Maybe now's the time you want to come and say, you know what, Pastor, I want to be part of this church and what God's doing here. Because whatever it is, would you come as we sing? Respond to the Lord this morning.
1: We bow our hearts, oh, we, we bend our knees. knees. Oh, Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh, Lord, we cast down our idols. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls. face, O God of Jacob, and God let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face, O God of Jacob. We bow our hearts, we bend our knees, O Spirit, Make us humble We turn our eyes From evil things O Lord we cast down our idols Give us clean hands Give us pure hearts Let us not lift our souls to another Give us clean hands Give us pure hearts Let us not lift our souls to another And God let us be A generation that seeks Seek your face O God of Jacob And God let us be A generation that seeks Seek your face Oh God of Jane.